0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's
1: quince.com slash upgrade. All right, my good buddy Tom Jones, former columnist of the Tampa Bay Times. You read him on porter.org now joins us. And Tommy, your Tampa Bay Lightning, the team that you covered for years and years, both as a columnist and a beat writer, is up 2-0 on the Florida Panthers, and I think it's hard to win four out of five. They're coming home to Emily. This series is over, right? I think so. I think so, although,
2: you know, I mean, look, both of those first two games could have gone either way. They were pretty tight the whole way. But you know what, Rick? I think the first two games were a prime example of, you know, we talk about it all the time, and it seems like a cliche, but it really does feel like that's, that's what champions do. I mean, when you have a... Those two games could have gone either way, and the team that with the experience in the playoffs, the team that has won a cup, found a way to win those two games. I look back, that game won, Rick. I don't know how they won that game. And and they did yet they did. Um and again and you could even Joel Quinville, the coach of the Panthers after the game, sort of indicated that yeah, that's what that's what winning teams do. They find a way to win. And he obviously is experienced at that, having coached the Blackhawks the three Stanley Cups, but um I look at those first two games, Rick, could have gone either way, but they both went the lightning way and it's not over over. I I'm, you know, it's it's there's still work to be done, but you're right, Rick. When you when you put it that way, you got to win 4 out of 5 against the Stanley Cup champions. I think it's going to be pretty impossible at this point.
1: Yeah, you know, Steve uh, Versting and I talked about this the other night, and I think, you know, the Lightning have sort of paid their dues, not just this past year um a year ago winning the Stanley Cup or it's the previous years, right, getting to the to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, it's getting swept by Columbus after you know having the best record in the NHL. All those things have sort of added up to their process of knowing how to finish games, how to close that out. You can't give that experience to the Florida team, which is a very talented team, been very good all year, but you just can't give that to them. But here's the thing that I don't know that we should be surprised by, but it's an absolute game changer, I think, for the whole – Postseason for the for the Lightning, and that is Nikita Kucherov completely changes. I mean everything, everything for that hockey team. In my opinion,
2: well, I do, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. And look, I know there's a there's a narrative out there. People are pretty upset league wide. I've been following it on Twitter. Yeah, they are. That you know the the Lightning sort of circumvented the salary cap. They they stashed him. They, they stashed him. Yeah, I mean it's hard to watch him play the first two games of this series and say he was not available to play
1: not a day before time right? just just a day before <laughs> he, he had a, oh, a little twinge.
2: it was a game time decision <laughs> just, on the key to
1: did you see the ice he had on his knee before his hip before he uh, played that game yeah i'm so i'm
2: shocked he walked out of the building that night <laughs> no and i get it and i and i think it's much more of a problem that the nhl has i don't blame the lighting for this i blame the nhl for the way the rule was set up right. but it's hard to look at that and i can understand where teams are like wait a minute you just added a an MVP,
1: uh, but if you're and, good enough, let's just say this: if you're good enough to play an entire season without one of the top players in the world and still handily make the playoffs, and then you can bring him on, good for you. you well, know, like that's how, the good, other, yeah. how good is your team? I mean, that's
2: the other way to look at it. I mean, how many teams could actually right take their best player with the Washington Capitals if you before no. the season you say, okay, you're not going to play with Alexander Ovechkin right. for the next fifty six games? And then you can wait for the playoffs. Like, it'd be a little or Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh or whatever. Yeah. So, I yeah, no. And again, I think it's more of a league issue than it is with the lighting. The lighting didn't technically break any rules here. But you're right, too, when you say that he completely changes the dynamic, and I'm also impressed with Stephen Stamkos. Right. And he's playing as well as he is. We talked about this on this podcast, Rick, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. that, oh, you just can't expect Nikita Kucherov to, to you know, walk off jump the trainer's right table yeah. and jump right in and start scoring goals. Yeah, well, can. apparently you can <laughs>
0: <laughs> because yeah,
2: you can. He, he did. He was the best player on the ice in game one and and uh, and really made an impact in game two as well. Um, absolutely. You know, Rick, though, I, when I again, when you look back, you mentioned it too just a moment ago where teams finding a way to win and having that experience. A lot of teams would have caved in that game one after, you know, you take a one-goal lead into the third period, and then you blow it immediately. Right. A lot of teams at that point were like, ooh, okay. Oh, we'll yeah. Start looking for the exit ramp. We'll come, mm-hmm. we'll come back in game two. And then to, to come back. And, and then to have Braden Point, another one of your best players. Your stars played like stars, and that, that was the difference. And, and now Florida, like, okay, what's your answer now? You've used both of your goalies. Right. You know what? Do you got to, you, You've already had a guy suspended because you tried going after somebody.
1: I want to talk about that just for a second too. Yeah. We, we, you mentioned the goalies, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm listening to some talk shows. Okay, from time to time, I don't know why I do this, but I was. And one of them, was, uh, we're talking about how. Well, I think they panicked. I think they panicked. Took out Bobrovsky. I mean, I mean, geez, you know, I mean, that's that's why they lost. That's a panic move. You're, hey, the guy that came in. Has been playing pretty much all year. I think he was like ten and four in his last fourteen games. And oh, by the way, how did you? Which one of those two goals did he give up that you would blame on him? I mean, one hit hit an opposing, you know, his own teammate yeah. skate on a breakaway on a two on one, and the other one, um, as I as I recall, was just a a, a another um, sort of odd man rush that that point made a great shot. I think he hit the post, and it was just a rebound. Um, or maybe he maybe he gloved it and it got it got away. But regardless, it was a rush and a great play on points part. I don't know that he should have stopped either one. He gave up two goals. I mean, are we are we so? This is what Quinville has done. He's basically they have two goaltenders right. That's now. right.
2: You hit it right on the head right there, Rick. It's not as if you had one guy who played forty five of the fifty six games and right. had had a bad period and then you completely panicked and went to the other guy. You had two. Guys who are basically your number one goaltenders. And That's there right. are a lot of teams who got knocked out of the playoffs early in the history of hockey whose coach waited a game too long to switch goalies. You know? Right. who, Who, oh, let's wait till we're down 3 and then it's too late to do anything about it. I saw, I've seen teams even with really established number one goalies who clearly should have changed goalies before they did and waited too long. And like I said, they went golfing two weeks after the playoffs started. So... Uh, I I yeah I don't think I I don't think it was a panic move but if you're the Panthers psychologically it's like ooh okay now we've used both of our goalies we well, can I go mean, back but, to either one now but But
1: yeah. that's the thing I think they have they have played them both right, right throughout right, right. the year it's not as if they just decided that you know now it's his turn and we're done with bravovsky or now it's this guy and we're done with you the no they've gone back and forth pretty much all year that's how they got here right. you know they they have two guys that are good and they play them both there's other teams in the in the NHL that do that as well. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's not. I mean, it's not traditional, and it's not what the Lightning do, obviously. But hey. well,
2: you hit it, Rick. It's not traditional in that there are very few teams in the history of the league that have alternated goalies and gone on to win a Stanley Cup.
1: You, know, right. you usually have to rely on. One and this guy. one won't either.
2: Probably, <laughs> but, yeah, probably you know. not. But I don't know that it's going to be the goaltender's fault either. I, no. Look, the Lightning. If you're if you're looking at it from the Panthers' point of view, or if I'm a Panthers fan and I'm watching this, I'm like you know what, I we might be running into just a better team. I realize that the Panthers had a better record during the regular season, but this is the Stanley Cup champion, the Lightning. The Lightning has been one of the best teams in hockey over the last six, five, six years, whatever. Yeah. And and I look back at this game and say, okay, I'm looking back at game one. Nikita Kucherov scored two goals. Braden Point scored two goals. You know, Stamkos has been really good in this series. The de- defense is playing Amazing, Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough is playing some McDonough of the best has hockey. Been that, fantastic, yeah, he's yeah. been incredible those first two games. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is a team, you know. Even even the guys that are everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. You know, as far as you know, Pat Falloon and uh, um, or Maroon and um, uh, Blake Coleman, they're throwing their bodies yeah. around and yeah. and making life miserable for people. So I. I I, I There's just think one the light thing has been that bothered better.
1: me. There's one thing that bothered me, and I, I can't remember the player. I, it it may—I don't think it was Maroon. It may have been somebody else. Maybe have been Coleman. The, the whole uh, waving bye bye and putting up yeah. the two two and zero. Watch that just a little bit, boys. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, you're you, not you, like, you're a little full of yourself, but I mean, it's a little you know, early to do that. Yeah, it's not done yet. You know, what I'm I get like sick
2: of this thing where teams, and this happens a lot in the playoffs, particularly early in playoff series when it's. One, you know, first, second, third game. Yeah, Yeah, where teams send a message. Like, okay, we're going to send a message. You know, you get get your rear end kicked in for 58 minutes, and then in the last two minutes you decide, I'm going to start punching people, because now we're going to send a message for the next game. How about showing up the first 58 minutes? You know, don't put yourself in a spot where... Okay, now we're going to establish our muscle and show we're not going to be intimidated by right. letting stuff get out of hand. Also, too, Rick, the officiating in these first couple of games—it's—I don't know. I've been watching a lot of the playoffs so far, and it seems like the directive from the league is okay. Let's just let's call a bunch of matching penalties here and not give anybody as many power plays as we get. Like if somebody does something, we're going to give two penalties out, one for each team. I'm not sure that that's conducive to knocking off all the you know the BS that goes on during the course of a game. This series has been intense. I think it's going to continue to be intense, although I don't think we're going to see as many penalties as we move forward here. And if you're Florida, the last thing you want to do is put that team on a power play. So I think we'll see a little more discipline in these next couple of games going back to Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, and it sort of, kind of got that way. I mean, I, you know, they, you've got to know that when the Lightning come out and score three goals and four power play chances, that the probably the worst thing you can do is put them back in the box. And, and right. you know, so they, I think Florida calmed down a little bit, and and maybe it'll get back to the chippiness if if things don't go well for them. Of course, the best thing to do is to get ahead in these games. I, I always think you know it's better if you're not chasing it, and the Lightning have been able to do that. So. um you know, you're gonna have nine thousand in Emily Arena. I mean, that's that's really, I mean, think about the last time there was anything close to that many fans. You gotta go back, what, two years almost to to think of a playoff game with that many fans.
2: Yeah, it's funny, Rick. You know, I, you and I have talked a little bit about COVID during the last eighteen months here or yeah. sixteen months or whatever it is. I'm not, I'm a little confused on and I and I know that they're you know, they're con- consulting with people. C D C baby. Yeah, no, it's just odd that it's like Okay, we're gonna go from this number to nine thousand and people are vaccinated. I'm like, is there a difference between nine and fifteen at this point? Or some buildings are full. Like Carolina, I think had a full house the other night, right? Or close to. Uh maybe I'm wrong about that, but
0: Carolina had twelve thousand.
2: Twelve thousand. Okay. Yep. So I I don't know. I'm I'm to the point now, it's like, wait a minute, the C D C says. If we can either all be
1: together, or we can't all be yeah, together. Yeah, right. Are we
2: are we gonna do this or not? So we either have an empty building, or let's do it. Let's go. Right. And I again, I've been super, um, you know, conservative in terms of I give sh- dirty looks to people for the last sixteen months if they were walking around Wawa <laughs> wah without a mask. You how know? do
1: they know though? Because you got one on. So how do they know it's a dirty look? Is it well, like a I know, eye, eye? I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: But it's yeah, I've been just to my point is I've been you know. Follow the science guy and lets everybody wear a mask. Let's everybody do the right thing and stay home and don't yeah. be an idiot. And now I'm like, well, wait a minute. CDC said, let's go. <laughs> uh, let's go. Let's yeah. put some people in the building. I think it's been, you know what, Rick? And you've experienced this because you were at some games, some Bucks games where there was nobody basically in the stands. Yeah. Green Bay, right? There were a few people at Green Bay when you covered that game, mm-hmm. the NFC championship. Yeah. But there's got, it's got to be a huge difference, right? I mean, you oh, covered these games where nobody was there. It felt weird, right?
1: Oh, it's horrible. I mean, from a, you know, I mean, these are these are performers, right? First and foremost. I mean, you go to a concert, it would be like a sound check, you know, at a concert. I mean, that's that's what That's what you're talking about. Like the band plays on and the lead singer is is doing his thing, but there's there's no there's no sort of relationship between the performance and who's watching. I mean, uh and in in sports in particular, um, football in general, but others as well. But I mean, you know, y- you actually, you can feel a crowd. You can't feel ambient noise, like that's the difference, right? Like if 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 actual human beings are making sound and are reacting to something they see, that's palatable. What's not is a jet engine. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. it, it just, yeah. it, it it may be noise, but it's but it's nothing that you can feed off of. It's nothing that you experience. And it was just weird, like totally strange. Like you're watching a practice or a scrimmage. And those guys eventually learned how to adapt to it. But obviously, as they got more people in the buildings, um, even, and, and I was surprised that like even, you know, 7,000, when, I remember the first time the Rays, I think, or not the Rays, the Bucks had anybody there. It was probably between five and 6,000, something like that, maybe 7,000 friends and family, that kind of thing. And then they eventually creeped their way up to about sixteen. But even just the first little sampling of of people smattered around that you would say, oh, my God, like this is horrible. Like there's only a few thousand people here. It made a huge difference. Like it was just different, you know, that somebody was actually watching this game and reacting to what was happening on the field organically versus, you know, this piped-in stuff. So, yeah, 9,000, you know, by – Twenty twenty standards is gonna sound like ninety thousand, you know.
2: As a fan, I think it watching at home, as watching on T V, it makes the experience more fun. I know mm-hmm. I watch games like I'll watch a hockey game with the Canadian teams, which still aren't letting fans into right. the arenas. And it's it, it's weird to watch. Even though weird. they have fake noise, I know it's fake noise. I, I guess it's right. it, it's almost like a laugh track. I get it. It's you know, it's mm-hmm. better than nothing. But as a fan, I get excited when I see other fans getting excited in the arenas. And Mm -hmm. I've watched, I was watching the baseball package the other night. And I think I had the Texas game and then Rangers, you know, they've they're full, you know, as many people as you can get in there. And it was a fun, it was more fun to watch those. I admit it was more fun to watch those games because the fans were, were I'm looking forward now. the bucks have the bucks announced, right. Did they announce? That they're going uh, to full crowd next year.
1: I don't know. I don't believe the NFL has actually um, made that clear. I know I saw some college uh, college football, Florida, yeah, and some others have said they're going to have full. USF stadiums. announced
0: they're going to be full. US,
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> good good luck you know, there. That's I mean, you still get this from Boston. Everybody's like, Oh, the Rays are going to have twenty thousand now. They go yes. Since when? you getting twenty thousand. I Rays? don't like well, it when
2: people make fun of the Rays, but I'll make fun of US.
1: It's key for USF though because Florida comes here on September 11th. Oh, there you so. go. Oh uh, yeah. Go Gators, coach, and I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you want me to say? Pick your score there, folks. I don't care who quarterbacks. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so it's, uh, we're, we're slowly crawling back, which brings me. It's a perfect segue, as they say in radio, although this is a podcast. Um, brings me to the topic of something that you wrote very well about and, and, and no accident that uh, I, I was quoted liberally in this story yes, as well. you were quoted heavily you called me so i just I want called to make, you i called you, yeah, you do
2: i do you a favor by coming on the podcast now and then there although, you I, go. although i actually enjoy coming on and i asked you for a favor in return uh earlier this week
1: well it was no it was no sweat off of me because i mean i i simply you know sat down and and, and rambled for about 20 seconds but um the topic is 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 covid related and it's about what we're going through or about to experience which is hopefully a post covid um sports seasons right whether it's baseball football basketball whatever but how the landscape of sports journalism journalism in particular but we're talking about sports journalism in this case because this is a sports podcast um how that how that may have forever changed or what changes um we may be uh, experiencing well well beyond this pandemic and well, you let know, me say,
2: I can set it up for you. Set it up because yeah, yeah you wrote
1: you wrote the column.
2: Well, I th- I saw something. The original column came from the Philadelphia Inquirer guy, but and I'm Mike Zelski, I think that's how he pronounces it. That sounds right. yeah. Uh, and had a he had a really good column, basically pleading with all the sports leagues, everyone, Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, Major League Soccer, NHL, everybody. Saying, "Hey, can you can you can we please go back to the old way?" Now open
1: that, the damn locker room, right?
2: Not at the CDC. Has said it's okay if we're all vaccinated. We can get together again um, safely. Can we at least go back into the locker rooms? And and he and he talked about how it's not only really good for sports writers. Obviously, it's self serving for us. Me, including myself, as a sports writer. Yeah. But it's also good for the sport and good for the good for the fans and good for everybody. And so I read the column. And I I went I reached out to a couple of my best sports writing buddies, you being one of them, and uh, Chip Scoggins, who is a wonderful columnist for the Minneapolis Star Tribune. I worked with him in Minnesota. Yeah, and just and I got you guys to talk about why is it do, why do you think it's important mm-hmm. to be in the locker room again? So I'll ask you again for people who haven't read it, and I'll ask you here, Rick. Yeah, why is it important for sports writers? Because you haven't been in locker rooms for the last year and I thought what made my column interesting a little bit for the general fan was here's somebody who covered the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Bucks with the most fascinating sports story of the year with Tom Brady coming and you were not in the same room uh, like same room besides being in the the Superdome or whatever but you're not being in in the same face-to-face 10 feet away from Tom Brady for the entire season you covered a, a Super Bowl Hall of Famer and you didn't get to talk to him one-on-one. You did everything over Zoom. So why is it important for you to be in locker rooms? Why can't you just do it the well, way you're doing it with Zoom calls and stuff?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's actually possible that that maybe Tom Brady will be here two years and win two Super Bowls <laughs> and his two greatest years of his career, given his age, and I will have never spoken to him um, one-on-one. Face to face, which, yeah. Or face-to-face. Face. I mean, I, I did get within three feet of him at – Bruce Arians' golf tournament where NFL protocols did not apply, we all had masks on, except for Tom, of course, who doesn't wear one um, because he's Tom Brady. He's Tom and, Brady. And, he's and immune so, yes, right. such well, human I mean, Would you cover viruses. that face? Let me just ask you. Would you put a mask on that face? I would
2: I'd not. risk getting COVID just to look at that <laughs> so face. Absolutely. That?
1: COVID's not going <laughs> to. You think COVID's coming in to, to mar that beautiful face, and there's not a chance. Right. COVID would, would drown in in the dimple chin. Come on. Right. I mean, you know, it, it, there's no COVID has no chance. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I listen, and I have said this to other people uh, throughout my career. Personally, personally, not professionally, but personally, if I never walked into another locker room again with men changing clothes, I'd be okay, right? Like I, this is not a place. This is not a place where you you typically feel comfortable. Okay, first and foremost, like it right. is not your domain. Um, it is their domain, and. In as much as we're invited in there or have been prior to the pandemic, um, you're well aware of the fact that you are there to work. You're there to talk to people and get the hell out. You know, it's it's not it's not as if ooh, let me go into like no, it's not like that. Okay, it's just basically that those those are the people you cover. These are the athletes you cover. This is the team you cover, and and so what you're hoping to do uh, in the case over the course of a season. Uh, a preseason, the entire season, a postseason, whatever, uh, is it's about building relationships. I mean, we're in a relationship business. We're in a communication business. Well, communication starts with interpersonal communications, which is generally best done not over a telephone, not over a Zoom line, but actually one-on-one talking to people face to face. And the reason for that is that, like any relationship, this is this is what you want to do. You want to build relationship. Relationships take time. They take communication. And then eventually, you build what trust, right? Not only do you come to see them as more than just professional athletes, and you see the sacrifice, and you learn their stories, and you find out how and why they're here, why they do what they do, but they also see you as a human being, right. as opposed to just some ink-stained guy that you know takes shots at them in the newspaper. So um, there is a there is a, a a give and take, you know, that we're all here to do a job. We're all professionals. We all have families and mortgages and wives and girlfriends. Some have one of each, but I'm just saying that you know it it is it is a um, an opportunity to develop uh, relationships and and sources and and things like that. I also think that you know it, it serves obviously it serves the readers because in as much as I know the teams um, would love and probably did love controlling the message, vis-a-vis, They can choose. Which players we talk to, and when we talk to them, if a guy and I can't cite a single instance of this, but you know, it's it certainly happened throughout the league. I mean, the 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 Bucks obviously won the Super Bowl, so maybe not so much with them. But if a guy had a bad day and he dropped a, a key pass on third down, or he missed the field goal, or you know, whatever, or committed chances, a stupid penalty, yeah, or whatever, it may have been a, yeah. a horrid, egregious penalty. Chances are you're not getting you're not getting that guy on Zoom. Like they're not pushing him out there to answer those hard questions. Everybody else may have to answer for him. But that day, you're probably not talking to him, right? So they, they could sanitize sort of the message. They could control um, how long and how many questions. I mean, if I got two questions of Tom Brady at any point um, during a Zoom call, that was my allotment. That was my ration. There was a bunch of people waiting to ask Tom Brady questions. The other thing is, you know, when you, when you put cameras in front of people, um, and this, you know, whether it's in the locker room or someplace else, a lot of people – don't aren't as free with the information. They, they, they're a little more on guard. They know they're on television. They, they, they sort of measure what they say and how they say it, which is fine. That's their prerogative. I don't blame them for that. But what we do um, is, you know, wait until the cameras are gone or if the cameras are over here, I'm someplace else because I don't want to be in the scrum. I want to talk to guys one-on-one, again, back to building those relationships. I think it helps the teams, though, too. I think it's short-sighted of teams to think, hey, if we just give them our viewpoint. Um, then we can eliminate all the negative stories. But but in fact, what happens is you lose context because we can't talk to guys about what happened and because we can't make those connections um, to them as human beings. They just become performers. Like, there, there's, there's no why to it. There's no understanding of who a person is. We're just saying, hey, you know, in, in the case of a rookie who I've never met, um, I have to just make, you know, Judgment calls. I'm calling balls and strikes now about why a guy um, may have made a bad play, is having a bad year, or is in a bad mood. Like I don't know him, so you know that doesn't help the team. If if your guy is getting ripped to pieces, um, because we have we have no context um, to put his performance, or maybe it's a bad performance into into some kind of, you know, maybe he's got something going on with his life that no one's aware of. So. All those things I think kind of play into storytelling and storytelling is what we do and I think the better the stories, the more interest you generate for the people you write about and, and I think the teams benefit from that.
2: Absolutely. And I know that there are some people, you know, we I you tweeted out the column and I tweeted it out and we were and people were reacting to it and said, Well, you know, most game days pre and post game are cliche quotes and everybody says the same thing. But we're not just talking about game days. We're like no. a lot of, of non game days where you go in there and you get a guy in the corner and you talk mm-hmm. to him by yourself for 20 minutes as opposed to. Then okay, that's the challenge, right? Oh, well, yeah, mean, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you a perfect example. So uh, a couple of years ago, Lightning were in the playoffs against the Washington Capitals. They were in the Eastern Conference Finals. And Steven Stamkos was going through a postseason slump, as he has done a few times in his career. Mm-hmm. And so it was after a practice. We go in there. Now, this happened to be one where there were like six or seven people around Stephen Stamkos, and I started in on questions, and I was trying to get to the – basically, you're trying to ask the guy, like, how come you can't score in the playoffs? But you can't say it like that. You have to ease your yeah. way into it. And everybody in that who was in that scrum mm-hmm. could sense what was going on, and they stayed out of my way. They were quoting him. They were listening. They had their tape recorders there. But I was clearly in charge of the interview. They were eating
1: and, off your plate,
2: right? And that was fine because they were letting me ask follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up, and they could tell that I was sort of weaving my way to Stephen. How come? What's the problem? Why aren't you, you were like
1: dogs? butter because you was on a roll?
2: <laughs> exactly. That can't happen on Zoom because on That's Zoom right. it's okay. Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Times, and boom, you got one question. And they mute. You,
1: listen, they mute the mic. You can be sitting there. You're all of a sudden it's a silent movie. Your lips are moving, but there's nothing coming out. You have a follow-up, and it might be the greatest follow-up in the world. Nobody got the benefit from it.
2: Exactly. And as you're talking to Tom, as, however many people are talking to Tom Brady or who Bruce Arians or whatever, there might be a dozen people on Even if there's six people, let's say there's six people, and I'm sure that's a way low number for most days. Right. There are six people doing six different stories on six different things. So whatever you're asking about, you're asking Bruce Arians about why guy you guys can't run the ball or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, as soon as it gets to the to the next person, Greg Alman say, mm-hmm. well, Greg Alman wants to talk about Donovan Smith,
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: it moves on to the next person, uh, somebody from the from uh, WDAE ESPN, whatever, or ESPN yeah. or whatever, and they want to talk about Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. It's you know everybody's got a different agenda, but when you're in there in the locker room and you can. Follow up, and people can get a sense of what's going on. Then you, then you get these better stories that honestly give fans more perspective on well, what's going and, on. And, and let's
1: talk about uh, post game. I can remember, and this is just off the top of my head, right? I've done this for so many years that I, I've forgotten more than I've ever written. But um, you know, there, there's been a couple instances where I've gone into a locker room and found out about something that happened after the game. That never came out in any of the interviews. In other words, we sat there, we talked to the coach, we talked to the players, we talked. But then you go around and you're like, wait, what? You know? I, Rick, I can was, give you was, a perfect example, and maybe sure, go you're going to jump I on this. I got one as well. There, there
2: was a few years ago, you and I were both there. We got back to the press box, and you told me there was a fight in the locker room after that.
1: That's right. That's the one I was Maybe that's tell the one you were going to tell you. So I, I don't remember Baker. who it was. Yeah, it was Chris Baker, and and uh, they had a, a situation um, against the Carolina Panthers, where he came in uh, on uh, it was a fourth down, fourth and five, and he jumped off sides.
2: At Green Bay? It, maybe? It, it, it was What's at Carolina, at I believe. Okay, but Carolina. You're right. You're right. It was Carolina. And actually.
1: I want to say that that made it a fourth and one. They got the first down. They won the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he was a guy that, you know, kind of a clown, um, you know, not serious all the time. But made you know when everyone is literally saying to them on the line of scrimmage, watch the ball, watch the ball. They're gonna, it's going to be a hard count. Watch the ball. He was that guy. Came in for that play, jumped off sides, gave them the first down, gave them the score. They win the game, right? And it's and it's towards the end of the year, and guys are fighting to keep their their coaching jobs and all of that. And after the game, um, there was there was a commotion. And Jameis Winston got into it with him, and different guys started calling out Chris Baker and Levante. Davis was being interviewed on the air, and you know, all this stuff went happened. It was drama, and and a lot of that you didn't see on camera. A lot of that you didn't hear about. You had to go from player to player and kind of know what was going on and get their takes on it. And it became a completely a completely different story than the one that that you went in there for, you know. And that happens. It happens quite a bit if you're a good reporter that doesn't just merely take the sound bites from the press conferences, you know, but actually goes in there and talks to people Um, you, you find out, you know, what the reaction was to this play or that play or what so-and-so said after the game or, you know, uh, what, what eruption occurred um, good or bad. And, and, and yeah, that, that was just one small example of, you know, being there um, talking to people having people tell you things, trust to tell you things about what happened. I mean, that's that's how, that's how what reporting is. That's the foundation of it.
2: Absolutely. I've, I've been in locker rooms after games, lightning games, where uh, you talk to somebody and it looks like a, a defenseman screwed up a play and then you talk to some people and like, actually, no, it was the forward. Yeah. The forward yeah. missed his assignment. And, that's right. And no one's going to call somebody out. No one's going to turn around and point their finger and go, no, it was, it was that guy. It was Stamkos. Right. But – now, that gives me perspective, though, as a writer, when I go back to sit down and write my story to say, actually, people, it wasn't, you know, looking at the mm-hmm. play again. Maybe something I didn't even notice, but somebody pointed it out to me that I'm not going to get on Zoom, that I'm not going to get. Right. Now, I from the team's point of view, Rick, is there a fear among journalists that the team's going to look at this and say, OK, wait a minute. Like we like I don't need Chris to Chris Baker fight to get out. And so oh, there's if we no do everything on Zoom,
1: that. none yeah. of that stuff's going to happen. Of course. No, look, in, in, like I said, they in their world, um, if not for agreements with pro football writers or, or baseball writers in, in different leagues, you know, these are negotiated access points. You know, these are negotiated. They don't there's, – there's no law in the state of Florida that says you got to open a clubhouse an hour and a half before a game. You know, uh, it's, it's basically sort of what the leagues have – uh, decided their media policies or their access policies. In the NFL, it's 45 minutes a day, um, you know, open locker room, uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, coaches will speak on these days. Quarterbacks have to speak. Coordinators have to speak once a week. I mean, they negotiate these things. Um, it's not a union, but with, with the writers or with the, the media. And then, you know, they, they try to enforce those policies. And it's amazing how, how time many times players – don't make themselves available even though it's in their contracts. But, you know, it's yeah, I think the teams probably would prefer um, just because of that one-off story, you know, like they're not all going to win the Super Bowl. Believe me, I've covered enough teams to know they're not all going to have winning seasons. And those are tough locker rooms and those are tough days. And, you know, in as much as they would like to, to you know, limit the access and, and sort of control the message. And the other thing is, too, and and there's no way around this, it's a business, right? The NFL is a business, and they spend a million dollars a team or more with social media, with hiring people uh, that do a great job of interviewing their athletes, putting, you know, they're, they're competing for the advertising dollar on the Internet just like we are, right? They're looking for followers just like we are, and they're looking for advertisers. And the more content that they have that's exclusively theirs, they already limit how long we can post video, how long we can post interviews, that sort of thing. Um, that that's that's a monopoly for them. You know why would they want to give that piece away or even share a part of it? Um, right. wh- who they share it with are the networks because the networks pay them. Newspapers don't pay them. Magazines don't pay them. We for years and years um, they got free publicity and still to some extent do today because you know it takes a lot costs a lot of money to take a full page color ad out for your product in in a in a newspaper and and yet. We're happy to run the photos and run the stories because we're serving our readers, and, and your business benefits from it. But it doesn't always benefit from it, and I and I think that there's going to be a lot of short-sightedness and a lot of um, you know teams wanting to control the message and say, you know what, this worked just fine for me last year. Let's do it again.
2: Two points that I'll that I'll make. One that that this guy Zelski made in his column, and we don't know that the relate. It's because of this, but the popularity of sports is down. It is. It absolutely it is. is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, there could be myriad reasons why. That's, maybe
1: people maybe people discovered they didn't need sports as well, much as they thought they Well, there was a did. moment
2: there where I was like that, too. Yeah, where yeah. it's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm fine. There were that.
1: none, remember? The world kept turning, That's right. but there wasn't any sports at all. Yeah, go
2: back to last March, a March mm-hmm. of 2020, when the NBA shut down and there was no Final right. Four and the Masters got pushed back. And we found out, and baseball got delayed, we found out, well, yeah, we could deal with this. Now... I don't know that that's the reason why the numbers are down. I think everything's been weird. I mean, here we are in, you know, coming up on the end of May, and we're still only two or three games into the playoffs, the NHL playoffs. Right. So the schedule's been throwing all of whack and all that. But that's something the league has to consider is the lack of access and Mm -hmm. the fact that there aren't those revealing stories and fun stories to read. Yeah. um, Is that having an impact? The other thing, I got a letter. I got an email today from a well-respected sports writer. I don't. I don't want to say who it is because he doesn't know that I was going to.
1: But you'll tell me later.
2: I'll tell you later. But it was somebody (laughs) who was a well-respected sports writer uh, who works for a very well-respected news outlet, who said, "Hey, loved your column today." Um, His concern is that there's a, and then we're going to sound like the old guys getting off, you know, telling people to get off their lawns. But he worries that the older generation of sports journalists are the ones who are going to say, hey, we need to be in that locker room. We need to be in there to interview, to build these relationships, to be able to do the stories that we want to do. And those voices voices are going to be few because the younger generation is, I don't need to talk to anybody. Give me a podcast. Let me be Bill Simmons. Let me go on my blog and give you my hot take. I don't need to talk. I don't need to talk to Tom Brady. Because what I'm doing is Bill Simmons stuff. Or what I'm doing is Stephen Ace stuff, you know. There's a concern that there's going to be no, there aren't enough of you and me, Rick, fighting for, get us back in that locker room. Because there are enough young people, sort of a new generation of sports writers who, I just want to give you their hot takes. And I don't need to talk to anybody to do that.
1: I don't, you know. Listen, I think there's enough space for both. Um, I, you know, the the debate part of it, you know, uh, which is which is all television seems to be interested in now is everything's a debate show. Um, look Here's the key people, though, Rick, and this is where I'm gonna. The,
2: everything that is debated on those shows is something we wrote is something that somebody reported on. Almost always, yes. It's all I've heard for the last three weeks, Rick, or the last two months, Mm. Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers is sick of this, and sick of this. You know where that all starts? Because somebody wrote a story that talked to Aaron Rodgers and said, I want out.
1: And in fact, it was, according to my sources, Aaron Rodgers definitely wants out. They visited him a couple times. And
2: you know why Aaron Schufter got that story? Because he's had a relationship with whoever, I'm guessing, Aaron Rodgers, for a really long time.
1: Or his agents, yeah. Or his
2: agent or whoever.
1: Or the teams. But, what, it doesn't whatever. matter. So you know. somebody that he's built a relationship with or as over he the said, years. It was out there. There's no reason why I called and it was draft day. There's nothing reason about that. I just, the story was out there. It was <laughs> it was time to write it. Just I dropped made it on the day of the draft. Yeah. I made a decision to report it on draft day. Did Aaron Rodgers didn't say anything. The Green Bay Packers did. Like, okay. But, uh, but, I'm, but my point is, he like, he got it. I, I don't think he just a reporter made it. He didn't make it up. It. He reported right. it. A reporter reported a story or we're not talking about it. Right. Right. We're just assuming that you know his future was a beautiful mystery and he, he was upset that he didn't go on fourth down in the championship game. That's all anybody would have known, right? I mean, it wasn't a bad year for Aaron Rodgers. He won the MVP and his team came within a couple of points of making it to a Super Bowl. If, if they game was three minutes sure.
2: longer, I'm convinced they would have won. Oh, anyway. yeah,
1: of course. I mean, you know, I mean, people forget Tom Brady three, threw three interceptions in the second half. He all but threw the game to them. Um, so, you know, there, there was that. But you're right. So many of the stories. Uh, listen, not that I live in a, you know, I just happen to cover the world champions now, but. You know, I'll write something that will end up on Pro Football Talk and and Skip and, and, and Shannon Sharper debating it, you know, by 10 a.m. Like, it happens all the time. So you're right. Um, somebody has to, you know, farm the the fields or whatever and come up with this stuff that other people can wax so poetically about. You know, I mean, the, that that's the reporter's jobs. And, you know, you just – I mean <laughs> – you know, are the Buccaneers going to talk about, you know, uh, Leonard Fournette almost getting cut? Are they going to tell you, is B.A. just going to volunteer without being asked that, yeah, you know, we we thought he was kind of a jerk and, and we asked him if he wanted to be released before he became playoff Lenny? Are they going to talk about Antonio Brown, um, you know, having a knee scope and not signing his contract because he can't pass the physical. I mean, all those things that that are out there are reporters that are doing the jobs coming up with those news stories. Right. So that don't you know, happen important.
2: without relationship building, without doing stories. That's before. correct. And it's not just about stirring up stuff too. I mean, there's a lot of, no, you've written a million stories about somebody's, you know, they're, you know, overcoming some sort of off-field tragedy or whatever are you going L- listen, to listen you going to oj howard's hometown yeah i was going spending- to
1: say like and i got another story coming out you know probably about him at some point but i mean at the end of the day i mean you know when when oj howard was picked and nobody expected him to follow the bucks to 18 or whatever it was the year they went there i didn't know anything about oj howard and we were able to go with a photographer spend about three days in Otaguaville, alabama i mean an outpost at best right i mean you're talking country okay and and what I found out about him about his family um about the racism he experienced in a um you know in a high school that was started essentially by confederate soldiers uh with robert e. lee in the atrium and you know him um being told in what two thousand and six- i don't know what it was. Uh, that you know he couldn't take his white girlfriend to the prom. I mean, you know, I mean it was it You're was, not getting
2: that story on Zoom. You're not getting that story no, on Zoom, sorry.
1: No, and so I mean like there were you know that's that's what you know that that's what we're able to do when we're able to have access and um you know develop stories and write stories and um you know I I, I think it I think it just helps I think it helps everybody. And again, there's many platforms where players, you know, whether it's um you know the different social media or you know where players can write their own stories you know uh and and can can say what they want to the players tribune for example is is is, is an outlet for that and that that serves a purpose too where it's just an unencumbered message from them but yeah i do hope and and i think we're going to get there i i don't know what the excuse would be i mean at this point you know, if uh, it seems like if you're vaccinated, the world, the the CDC and everybody is saying, you know, you can be in surroundings, you can be together, you can't transmit transmit the virus to other people, and yet it's very likely there will be unvaccinated people in that locker room, in that building, maybe a very small percentage, um, but are they going to let us back in there? And I, I hope they do. I fear they're not going to.
2: Yeah, I fear it too, and I think that the the. Um... I think the excuse will be health reasons, and then we'll and then we'll go on further than this, and you know, you will start to worry about okay, our announcer is going to travel. I know Steve works with the with the lightning crew and and the race crew, and right. it's diff, difficult. I know Dave and Andy were having issues one game doing a road game, you know, and mm-hmm. I and I do think Rick that we're going to see eventually those guys start to go on the road with uh, with the teams. But what I do think is going to happen is okay if you have Ohio State and Michigan playing on a Saturday in football. Yeah, Kirk Herbstreet's going to be at that game with uh, Chris Fowler or whatever. But uh, if you get um, Boise at you know Utah on mm-hmm. a Saturday night at 10 o'clock, yeah. I could see the announcers being somewhere in Bristol, Connecticut, watching mm-hmm. on TV if it's going to save money. And and again, I, it's, they, could they pull it off? Yeah, these are professionals and they can do it. And technology is what it is. It's not the same. It's just not the same.
1: It's not the same, and, and yet um, I'm not sure in the case of broadcasting i'm not sure don't think it's failproof, but I'm not sure that fans will know, do know the difference that's how and to me, that's a credit to the broadcasters I don't know how they do it, okay I, I don't know how you can look at a 75 inch screen uh, or whatever size it is and, and actually you know have the perspective that you have sitting behind home plate or in a press box in a football field and, and seeing the entire game. Like you've got the camera angle and that's it. But they do such a good job that it's almost, to me anyway, imperceptible that they're not there.
2: Right. But here's the thing, Rick, and this goes back to you and the job that you did. Let's take you, for example. You covered the Super Bowl champions. You did an excellent job this year. And I this is not meant to be disrespectful in any way. You missed stories this year. You just did. There, and we don't know what those stories were. Sure you don't I know did. what those.
1: You don't know what those stories well, were. Well, I, I do know. I do know a couple, but I. Mean, but you I know, know what I'm saying? Like, the, yeah, and I'm no, not just saying no you.
2: I'm talking about everybody across the NFL. Oh, no question. You not being in every sport. You not being there. Right. We couldn't that, tell the whole story. Right now, I'm reading as a as a, as a reader. Your stories look great. You're telling me what's going on. You don't on,
1: know what I missed, yeah. But I don't
2: know what you because you don't know what you missed because you don't know what conversations you did you didn't have. Right. That somebody might have you might have walked through a locker room one day and run into Gronk, and Gronk would have you talked about Brady and what a leader he is, mm-hmm. and Gronk might have told you a story that happened in 2012 with mm-hmm. New England that mm-hmm. you can't you're not going to get on a Zoom call. But right. he mentions it to you and all of a sudden you start, it becomes, oh, then you ask somebody else about it. Then mm-hmm. you ask somebody else. Now, now all of a sudden you got this story about this thing that happened in 2012 where Tom Brady became the leader, the true leader, whatever, you know. Yeah. So that that those are the stories I'm talking about, things you don't even realize. I can't tell you, Rick, and you're the same way, how many stories I stumbled upon, had no oh, idea. Oh, yeah. Because I asked the guy, hey, what's that? What's that thing on your glove? Like, what is that? Like, oh, well, and then they tell you a story. Like, when I was in Pee Wee Hockey, I did this. Blah blah blah. You know.
1: We had a, and you'll appreciate this. We had a columnist that worked at the Times, and he used to have a favorite say. He used to have a favorite saying. It wasn't about. It was usually about a competitor, but but I think it applies here. You're talking about you don't know what you might stumble into. He said. He used to say. I don't want to imitate him, but he used to say it's like it's like cockroaches. It's not what they eat that bothers you. It's what they fall into. Yeah. In other words, you know, you're not going to get upset if they're chewing on those cornflakes. But if they fall into your bowl and you're trying to spoon one into your mouth, then that's a problem. You know what I'm <laughs> exactly. saying? Right. So that's, that's sort of what we're talking about here. Anyway, it's a great column. Check it out at uh, pointer.org. Tom Jones uh, with his newsletter and not just because I'm quoted in it, folks. It's, yeah, it's you're really, in there a lot. I quoted I you a lot. You, everything you had to say was great. It's embarrassing. I, I didn't, no, it's really good. I, I wrote too much, and I didn't expect you to do it, but no, thanks anyway. No, it was great. Anyway. Everything
2: you had in there was great. And yeah, Chip well, Scogging,
1: like I said, I thank my, my buddy Chip, Chip really Scogging. And the guy in, uh, that wrote the column in Philadelphia yeah, was really real good. Yeah, real good, yeah. And then, I, like I
2: said, I got some reaction from other sports writers around the country. So.
1: Yeah, no, it was really well received. Thanks. So hopefully it'll make a difference. I don't know if it will. I don't know who reads these things, but I'm going to assume <laughs> that uh, my friend RG read it word, word for word. So let's hope. Uh, one of the questions, we had a guy on our mailbag. I wanted to ask you this because it was so good we didn't get to it the other night. Uh, John asked, what's the greatest single-game performances you can recall covering Tampa teams? And this could include opponents as well.
2: Well, this is a no-brainer for me. I covered a game in which Carlos Delgado for the Toronto Blue Jays hit four home runs in a game. I Goodness. think – I think only really, yeah. I think less than twenty. It's happened less than twenty times in major league history. I want to say. Yeah. I think it's happened around eighteen. It's rarer than a perfect game. In I believe four
1: home runs in a game.
2: Four home runs in a game. It happened in two thousand three. It was at the the uh, Sky Dome or whatever they call it now in Toronto. Yeah. Um. But Carlos Delgado, yeah, four home runs in a game. That was. You know, I've covered some guys. I think I covered it, somebody scored four or five goals in a game once. I think Peter Bondra, maybe for the Washington Capitals, had four or five goals in a game, but but no, they that the the um, Carlos Delgado that easily to me was the greatest still game performance because, like I said, it was so rare. It's much rarer than a no hitter. I
0: think eighteen yeah. total.
2: Eighteen. See, see, there you go. Eighteen. Which I think there's been how many perfect games? Do something like twenty, twenty one, twenty two. Oh, I think there. it's more
0: than that. I think it's yeah. Uh, yeah look I think it it's, up real quick here. It's a
2: pretty low number. It's a pretty low number and. Um, and I remember that that game. 23 perfect games by the 23, current Twenty-three, So definition. it's rare, you know, much rarer than any. I can't think of anything in baseball that's rare. I mean, cycles are, you know, you usually get a few cycles a year. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, four home runs in a game. And it was amazing to watch. And it was so funny. Like, as it's one of the few times I've been in the press box rooting for something to happen.
1: <laughs> you know, seriously, he came up there. Well, he, Let's be honest. We do root for no, things I mean, to happen. No, I mean, but like we, we root for great stories. To well, we happen. root for great. Well, that was <laughs> totally
2: that great story. But I wanted to see it happen. Like because I knew, it was history. You know, it how was history. Rare and I'm was, like yeah. this, and you're thinking like, there's no way. And he, the fourth time running, hit. It's on YouTube. I'm sure, and I know it is because I've looked it up. The fourth one, it was as soon as he hit it, you're like, oh my gosh, it wasn't even like, oh, this might get out. It was a bomb, and uh, so yeah, that's what is your? Do you remember yours off the top of your head?
1: Well, see, this is a problem. If it doesn't come to me like that, then chances are I don't remember it. That that there hasn't been that. I haven't had. I've done some baseball. I haven't had the no hitter. Um, you know, football. I mean, listen, I cover the Bucks, right? How many? How many great performances? Saw a lot of great performances against them. You, you saw know. the
2: a sixty what sixty two yard field goal the old fashioned way.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, Matt, Matt Bryant, Matt, Matt Bryant the... kicked one. Yeah, say hallelujah and all that. But uh, you know that that was that's pretty rare. Um, there's been, there's, there's been individual performances that you'd have to go, but look, I mean, anytime I watched Barry Sanders, he had a game where I think he had two 80 plus yard touchdown runs and I'll just never forget. I mean, there were remarkable runs and Barry Sanders played, you know, the bucks twice a year when they're the old, uh, the NFC Norris back in the day, they were, uh, with the Bucks and the lions, but, um, you could never hit Barry Sanders squarely. And John Lynch did one time square him up. Um, and it was remarkable, but, you know they did Cadillac commercials on that guy when the bucks would play him and he had 280 something yard runs and i swear to you the rest of the day he averaged 2 yards or less like he might have had 22 carries and 20 of them were for two or less yards and then one for 82 and one for 81 both touchdowns and i just i just remember Monty giving, yeah, oh, jeez, you know, we, we did such a good job. We, we stopped him. I mean, you get two yards a game, man. you can't take away those two plays. I mean, I mean, really, you look at it, guys. We, we did a great job, not a good job. We did an unbelievable job on this guy. We stopped this guy twenty times out of twenty-two carries, hey, I mean, you got those two eighty-yard runs. <laughs> 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 and it was, but that's exactly the way it was. Um, to be honest with you, I. I think if you go back and watch, and this is we talked about this play uh, as being a signature play for the Bucks, um, you know, franchise. The game that Rodney Barber has against the Philadelphia Eagles, not the play. The play was obviously the the, the capper, that the, the walk off, the you know, got them to the Super Bowl, and you, you pretty much knew they had the Raiders' number. Um, the ninety two yard interception return in the NFC Championship game by Rodney Barber. But go back and watch the entire game that Barber has. Um, I mean he filled up the stat sheet like he had sacks he had fumble caused he had fumble recovery like it's it's incredible the plays that he like he he literally made every play I think you can make on a on a field on defense in one game in one championship game it's still to me one of the most remarkable performances I've ever seen and and I've seen 500 yard passing games and You know uh, that that sort of thing. Those are rare. Those are pretty rare. Yeah, those are pretty rare. Um, Steve, you you covered
2: a lot of baseball, and uh, you know, work. Have you no hitter, perfect game, any of that
0: stuff? No. Although I'm always intrigued by the immaculate inning, which is if a pitcher comes in nine pitches, nine pitches, three three strikeouts. (laughs) strikeouts. Yeah, I haven't seen one in person, but I I saw something I think harder to do. And this was with the Rays a couple years ago. It may have been three, four years ago. Brad Boxberger came in with the bases loaded, nobody out, and pitched nine pitches, three strikeouts. Wow. And it doesn't oh, count wait. as an immaculate inning because you have to start the inning and in the end. Because you didn't start right, it, but right, that's right, right. even harder. But right? it was nine pitches, three strikeouts with the bases loaded when he came in. I don't remember oh, what year goodness. it was. And I, re- I remember I have a cousin who's a huge baseball fan, so I was texting him going, I don't believe what I just saw. I mean, I, it's not the greatest performance I've ever seen, but it was just one of those wow. Yeah, it's one um, of
2: those ones you'll never forget, and it's yeah,
0: because yeah, it was. You know, it's always been. You know, I just think it's impressive. You can come in and you know, as many balls as pitchers throw anymore to throw nine strikes, get three outs is impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's becoming less impressive with the amount of strikeouts we have in the game, <laughs> but. But Not with that, the bases
1: loaded. I,
2: you know, it was funny. I was flipping, speaking it out. I was flipping around the other night, and it was uh, it was late, and I got the MLB package, and I'm like, oh, I'll watch the end of this Toronto Seattle game, and and then it's like I realized, oh, this guy from Detroit's got a no hitter going, and it was just sort of, sort of like, <laughs> you know, it was like nothing. He's might as well, it's like, oh yeah, oh another no hitter. Okay,
1: here we go.
0: <laughs> I remember I remember going to Riverfront Stadium. as a buddy of mine that worked at the radio station. We went down to watch the game, and we're just sitting up in the. The cheap seats, just drinking beers, watching the game, and it's like the seventh inning, and and Randy Johnson's pitching for the Diamondbacks, gets the Reds, and so buddy's like, hey, let's just let's leave, let's go, we'll go, you know, back to Mount Adams, go to the bar. I'm like, no, I want to stay and watch. He's like, no, man, let's go, come on, you know. I'm like, no, dude, I want to watch the game. He's like, come on, man. He just kept, he kept battering me. And finally, I'm like, would you look at the scoreboard? He's like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like you know, two nothing or whatever. I said, look at the scoreboard. He had no clue that Randy Johnson's got a no hitter going. <laughs> Next batter, there's the hit. I'm like, okay, now we can go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, you know. I
2: had a buddy. I had a buddy of mine who took his son to his my best friend back in Pittsburgh. Took his son to his first ever baseball game, and he was, son was probably I don't know, you know, just three or four or five years older, maybe five. And they were just going to go for uh, the old the old uh, the thing was one inning per year. That's how long kids can last. And so they were going to stay for about five innings. Well, now of a sudden it's getting late at night, and his wife's getting worried, and he, she calls, and he answers the phone, and the kid is screaming in the background, like, oh, you're just that tired. I want to go. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, the guy's got a perfect game. I can't, we can't leave. The guy's got a perfect game. And the kid's screaming, and he's, you know, and he's probably ruined his sleep for a month. But my buddy's yeah. like, you can't leave in a perfect game. And if, I think the guy, it was Paul Wagner, I think, for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he broke it up. It was broken up with two outs in the ninth, I believe. And then he said, all right, we can go.
1: Jeez. Child abuse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> perfect game. Perfect yeah, game. Perfect
1: game. You can't lose a perfect game. Exactly.
0: Um, Probably yeah, the best are- baseball game uh, I was at was 2005 NLDS game four in Houston. The Braves had a five to one lead going into the eighth inning. Kyle Farnsworth comes in. I think he gives up three in the eighth, one in the ninth, and we go to extra innings. And it goes 18 innings.
2: Oh, my gosh. Roger
0: Clemens gets the win. Knocks the Braves out of the playoffs. Braves should have forced game five back home the next day. Uh, solo shot in the 18th inning wins it. Five hours, 46 minutes.
1: Jeez. My goodness. I, I
2: covered, know you know, I covered the uh, I covered an Olympic gold medal game, United States Canada, back in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Gretzky Lemieux was on that team. That was a, Herb Brooks was coaching the American team. That was great. I, co- I, co- I covered the game where Aaron Boone hit the home run in the bottom of the whatever twelfth. Aaron inning Bleeping against, Boone. Yeah. yeah, against the Red Sox, two thousand three. That was um, Marty the Marty St. Louis game. In, well yeah, in, yeah, in, you were there in, so. in, Cal- in Calgary. I was at that game. But as far as individual performances, yeah, I was all. That's the, the Delgado four home run game.
0: I, I saw. Corey, I don't know that I can ever yeah. top that. I saw Corey Dillon set the rookie rushing mark in the NFL with two hundred forty six yards. That's pretty. And big. then a few years later, he set the NFL record for most yards rushing in a game of two hundred seventy eight against the Broncos. Yeah,
1: I think I saw Doug Martin go for two fifty in Oakland. But there yeah. what, man. That was, was what Doug Martin was. Running against our Raiders. I, I, was
2: that a Thursday night game? Was that a Thursday night game? Yeah, I, I don't think said. so. Or maybe not. Okay.
0: I've seen some so. great college I games. I saw. Yeah, I've seen. You know, I saw Charles Woodson and Desmond Howard take it to the house against Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw what was uh, that? The
1: one where uh, where Desmond struck the pose? Yes.
0: Ooh. Saw Rocket That's Ishmael return two touchdown, two kickoff returns for touchdowns against Michigan for Notre Dame.
2: Yeah,
0: that was a I remember that game. Uh saw uh the year Eddie George won the Heisman, Michigan upset Ohio State, so crushed them and Bjaka Batuka ran for 313 yards. And J- Eddie George had like 120 or something, but
1: Jesus. Uh I could have quarterbacked that game. <laughs>
0: So I mean I've seen some wild you know, college games, but
1: those are great. The one with Howard was it's still one of the greatest calls when, when you watch the replay. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they have moved up the tape. You know it was actually set at exactly the right time when he strikes the pose. You just hear Keith Jackson go hello. When did it back, my voice cracked. I'll do it the right way. <laughs> hello Heisman. You know it was just like hello Heisman. It was it was great. It yeah, was yeah, like it was a, a great, time, call. great Like call. literally as he strikes the pose, that's what he's saying. Like did you know he was going to go to the Heisman pose? Like you almost had to know. But, so, anyway, great play by Willie Adamas, by the way, to end this Rays game that we're watching as we tape this podcast. Went far left to his right in the hole, and I don't know. Willie Adamas,
2: Man. get a good look at him now.
1: Well, I think he may have strained his Achilles, so I'm going, hey, Wander. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was a little banged up on that play, so something to think about. All right, so we'll, uh, we'll see if uh, the Lightning were able to close out their series. In the meantime, check out Tom Jones and his column, and his newsletter every day of the week in uh, Pointer fantastic column, which I barely, limitedly contributed to. But I think uh, hopefully we'll see all the uh, press boxes open again, Tommy, and and uh, you know the locker rooms, and and we'll start writing good stories. And maybe, maybe you and I, I don't know, maybe together, separately, we can actually meet and talk to.
0: I
2: know, I haven't seen Tom you in over Brady. a year, Tom Brady. I, I, I haven't seen have to... I haven't seen you in over a year. Is that true? Well, I haven't seen you since COVID. Oh, that's right. right. I,
1: I got to have you over, man. We got to have you and Patty over. We got we, we built this whole, uh, I got three TVs now. I know you can't see yours from your kitchen. I can actually watch three at one time. It's remarkable. <laughs>
2: that's
1: awesome. So I'm just going to keep adding. You know, so. But anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, talk to you next week. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, sir.
0: Even on a budget?